Welcome to the Keel Hall Podcast. I'm your host, Captain Logan, and we've got a lot of Sea of Thieves news to cover today, so tie yourselves to the mast and hold fast. Ahoy there, pirates. I hope you had yourselves a good weekend, a good weekend. I know I did. This week is a very special week. We got a new episode of the Sea of Thieves, the official Sea of Thieves podcast. We're going to be talking about what they covered in that episode, as well as how it ties into the story that I wanted to talk about with not only the third adventure, the Shrouder Deep, but also the new pirate legend, Legend of the Veil, the Voyage Veil, the Veil of the Ancients uh, Voyage that came in with this latest update. We are still a month and a half, I think, out of the last half of season six. So it's amazing that we have this much content and I can't wait to find out what we're getting because we're still waiting for that season mystery. Uh, Community Day is also coming up. We're going to be covering that as well, too. So lots to get into it. So let's do it. But before we get into this episode, I want to take a moment to thank the patrons who went over to patreon.com forward slash keelhaul podcast to support this podcast and help get me to SOT Fest this summer. I'm looking forward to going to England. It'll be my first trip. And they're the ones that are helping with that. They're the ones that are helping donate to pay for uh, food, to pay for lodging, to pay for the the actual flight and stuff. So uh, I want to give a shout out to them because they're the ones that, that have been supporting me for a long time and making this possible. So thank you to... People's Republic, Elcute, Slum, Captain Hasco, Chateau Neuf, Chris, Cloud, Cosmic Johnson, Davrom TV, El Jefe Esteban, Fergatron, Trickster, Jabaro 5, Kazia the Rogue, Lumpy SRQ, Ocarian Darth, Dub Dub Goose, Evil Morpheus, Xbox Mike 29, Murphy Lives, Mutinous Mikes, Regis Stella, Russ Bell Kid, Norwegian, Skinny Matt, Scum Melt 666, Strange Stan, Tarnished Film, That Kilted Guy, TM Professor, Real Big Tuna, Uriel Canes, Big Bad Pad, Mina Fairy, Super Pack, Music Me, The Lore Chronologist, Dead Eye Dre, Ghost Boy 20, Neon, Evil Martha, Peter Miller, Ruski Doo, Straw Hat Connor, Thor Von Blitz, Windsor Chris, and Zam. Wow. Thank you all so much for your support. It means the world to me, and it helps me do things to, to be able to uh, have experiences that I that I never could to make sure that the equipment that I'm using is working. Uh, after the trip for uh, London, I'm going to be working on saving up enough money for a new rig, uh, so that way I can actually um, be able to stream more often instead of the, the really bad settings that I have going on right now. Um, and I'm just it means the world to me so thank you all so much for your support it really does help out First up on today's docket, let's talk about the third adventure, The Shrouded Deep. Uh, I've discussed this a little bit with some folks already on the episode, but I wanted to kind of sit down and take stock of how it came out, how I feel about it, and just kind of overall, is this something uh, that will really kind of impact the way that Sea of Thieves is kind of done in the future? And I think it will, because I think they are currently working on how they want to try and bring some of the past events, some of the events that we've had in the past, kind of forward in into the future to give folks that weren't there an opportunity to kind of play around and see what this was like. But as always, uh, in the Sea of Thieves official podcast, and I'm going to be referencing that this week, because uh, what they did is they talked about the Shrouded Deep Adventure, as well as the Pirate Legend vo- uh, Veil Voyage, uh, and also just kind of a little bit of things here and there to kind of give an idea of, of what's been going on in the Sea of the, the sea of Thieves and the Sea of the Damned. Um, they kind of break down some of the stories. So I figured uh, before I get into the Shrouded Deep too much, let's catch folks up with the lore as far as what's been going on with season six. 
believe it or not, season six is kind of the biggest lore dump that we've had uh, since A Pirate's Life, in my opinion. Um, we had A Pirate's Life, and that really opened up the sirens and the sunken kingdom to us uh, and gave us a lot to think about as far as some of the different things that are going on below the actual surface. As we kind of stay on top of the surface of the water here, we're starting to get more and more idea about what's going on between the Sea of the Damned and the Sea of Thieves. Uh, this is really interesting in regards to Flameheart, someone who's been around for quite a while. And as we get into the Sea of Thieves episode, the official podcast, uh, they kind of go in and break down what's been going on. And a lot of it kind of pertains to Flameheart and his desire to control the Sea of Thieves. This is uh, something that I really enjoyed because um i didn't i didn't realize and thanks to the the podcast i don't remember hearing this but apparently there's a point where you can actually hear flameheart leaving in the first cinematic uh trailer that came out for the first adventure uh, mike chapman might have been having a little bit of a go at us uh on that but it was nice to kind of see them um the usual uh, actually there were some new faces now that i that i mentioned it on the podcast and it was nice to kind of see um some of the the actual sea of thieves uh, podcast or the, the community managers, as well as a couple of the uh, actual designers like Steve Dillon, Mike Chapman. Uh, but we had a uh, uh, Joe uh, or Joe Tro, you may know her on, um, on the actual uh, uh, like Twitter, if you haven't seen that, or if you've seen been in the Discord at all, uh, you definitely know like who Joe is. Um, she was. It was nice to kind of see her there, uh, as well as James or James Bowden. Um, I, I actually don't know how James, how you actually pronounce your Twitter handle. So I'll I'll refrain from making a fool of myself. Uh, but they were in the episode this week, and the first kind of thing that they did was uh, John actually kind of asked Mike to kind of break down what is going on in the Sea of Thieves for folks that may not be keeping up with the lore. Uh, we've had a few adventures at this point, as well as tying in some uh, outside uh, content, just to kind of uh, let everyone know what's been going on. And it's kind of nice to have it from the horse's mouth, per se, uh, to kind of break down what's been going on. So I'll just kind of recap that real quick. Uh, Flameheart has found out that there is a way, uh, thanks to the castaway coming from a pirate's life, to travel between the Sea of thieves in the sea of the damned via the portals uh, although castaway is um uh you know effectively a sea god uh, there are other ways to actually get to the sea of thieves from the sea of the damned in this the form of the veil of ancients which we found out is actually in the belly of the shrouded ghost um which kind of explains why uh that was the case as far as it being uh something that was really really rare um again i still really love that uh but now with flameheart kind of tasking the reapers uh to do the bidding of of his will essentially uh they are out seeking this veil of ancients mask uh but as we found out with the shroud breaker another ancient relic uh that was used to pierce the the veil of the shroud uh the veil of ancients which in fact uh kind of pierces the veil of the barrier between the sea of the damned and the sea of thieves if i'm keeping that straight um is not always in in one piece uh we we found out that there are veil stones and that these stones have been buried and kept secret for a while uh from the ancients the ancients were smart enough to kind of keep this stuff um kept away so that not all of it, it was one piece so if someone found the mask they wouldn't be able to just control uh the the passageway between the sea of the damned and the sea of thieves you know 
So it's up to us to not only find the veil of ancients, uh, but also to recover the veil stones. And that's kind of where uh, the Sea of Thieves adventure, the Shrouded Deep Adventure 3 of Season 6 is coming into play, as well as the latest pirate legend voyage, uh, the Veil of, uh, or the Voyage of Veils, or no, the Veil Voyage. I'm just going to call it the Veil Voyage. I can't actually remember uh, what it's called now that I think about it. I've grabbed it a bunch of times and it's weird that you can only have one that we talked about last episode. Um, but it was really kind of cool to see that uh, the thing that I had kind of, you know, kind of wanted for a while is kind of this pirate lord with the Athena's fortune uh, versus Flameheart in the Reaper's Bones. Um, originally, the Reaper's Bones was founded by Wanda the Warsmith, who was doing so for the sake of Flameheart. Uh, and after, you know, him kind of uh, uh, not really loving her the way that she loved him uh she got kind of upset with that and decided to join the brethren court uh which is now or the dark brethren court i should say not the brethren court but the dark brethren court which is now uh thanks to the podcast we found out going to be kind of in the shadows for a while so the questions that I've had regarding uh, where's Wanda, where's Duke, where's Stitcher Jim, uh, what's going on with the Gold Hoarder, is he actually gone uh, forever or is he going to come back the way the Ramsey has always said, uh, all of that is going to have to wait till the next year probably, um, which is it kind of it, it kind of takes care of the thing that I wanted, which is um, a little more closure with some of the story arcs that we've had. You know, we've had Flameheart, we've had Seabound Soul, we've had Heart of Fire for a couple of years now. And it's been since then that we've kind of wanted to have some sort of resolution, but you can't really have a resolution to this without introducing some uh, new characters along the way that will help kind of build up the next character arc the next story that they want to tell and now that we have kind of that in place uh both with the um, dark brethren court and wanda duke and stitcher jim but we also have the opportunity in the future for uh, a pirate's life with jack sparrow and davy jones to kind of find out what's going on with there and potentially captain hook or is uh i i i call him captain hook uh in the game He's just referred to as Captain. And outside of the little teases that I had posted in a video uh, on my YouTube, um, there's not much proof to say that it is in fact Captain Hook, but I'm still kind of hoping that it is just because it feels like it would be such a cool kind of bit of my history with Disney kind of being uh, brought more into Sea of Thieves, which I just I absolutely love. So as we're kind of getting into this arms race between the Athena fortune or the Athena's fortune crew of pirate legends and flame hearts, reapers bones, it'll be interesting to find out if we start to get a little more of that agency, the thing that they had talked about. We haven't seen any of that yet. And they stated that they wanted to have pirate legends be the ones who are going to making the going to be making these big decisions. What's going to happen with uh, golden sands outpost. How are we going to, find this uh, war between the Reaper's Bones and Athena's Fortune? How is uh, the Sea Dogs going to play into this? And are they already playing a part into this? Or is there just some things that went wrong during the actual uh, making of some of the content that's come to the game? And maybe some oversights as far as the quality assurance uh, to make sure that, that things that we've used in the past aren't being used to insinuate connections to the future? Or are those actually breadcrumbs? 
trails that are being left there for us to find uh, so that we can help kind of understand what's going to happen in the future. And I'm, of course, I'm referencing the Triumphant Sea Dog uh, logo that was found on a banner during one of the emplacements uh, at the actual end of the Vale Voyage, uh, which we found out thanks to the uh, books that came with the Vale Voyage that these encampments, these uh, these forts are something that were um, brought into the world of Sea of Thieves from the Sea of the Damned, obviously, uh, by Flameheart. He had managed to weaken the Vale enough to bring this fort in here where they were keeping one of the three Vale Stones that you're going to need to collect to be able to empower the Vale Mask, which is going to allow you to travel between the worlds of the Sea of the Damned and the Sea of the Thieves or Sea of Thieves without the help of the castaway or Teodoma. I'm really just in love with all of this going on. I really am. Um, I know that I talked a lot last week's episode about my concerns as far as uh, tying narrative to voyage the voyages that are going to be on repeat. Um, and I still have those concerns. Uh, they are just concerns. I'm not saying that the voyage itself is bad. I actually think that the voyage is probably one of the best voyages that they've ever made uh, because I think it does do a great job of taking narrative and tying it to the thing that you're going to be doing when originally the voyages were just an enticement to get you out into the world to do something as opposed to just sailing around without any kind of actual uh, a, a purpose. Um, if you think about like when pirates were in uh, Nassau back in the day, uh, they had, uh, uh, you know, stories or, or information that was given to them that there were going to be uh, cargo ships that they could go and actually hijack goods from. That information was passed via uh, person to person. You know, you paid for that knowledge for the most part. And that's kind of what the trade companies are representing in the Sea of Thieves. But there is a bit of a, a uh, interesting twist to that because the information that we're getting is actually coming from the skulls from the Order of Souls that is then turned into maps and riddles uh, that are then sold to the gold hoarders. And then the gold hoarders then uh, give us a small cut of the actual value of that treasure before sending it off to the gold hoarders. Uh, how it gets from the gold hoarders back out into the world uh, is is a conundrum. And it really does kind of come down to, I think you just have to assume that there's just a bunch of treasure that is constantly buried uh, out there. Whereas the Merchant Alliance are just kind of ferrying goods to and from the Sea of Thieves uh, to the outside world. Um, so that they can kind of make a profit off of that in the way that a, a East India trading company or the, um, oh gosh, what is the, the company called? Oh, I'm blanking. It's not, the, it's the, it's the version of the Sea of Thieves uh, East India trading company that I'm blanking on. Um, but we're, I'm, I'm still waiting for those guys to actually make an appearance too. Uh, I would still love to have them. The comics were great uh, to be able to kind of dive into their history and the, their, their pompous attitude towards the world and how they felt like they were the rulers and stuff but i'm getting away from the actual point of this which was um the veil voyage being a great design for us to be able to kind of uh, immerse ourselves in the world while also rewarding us with gold and treasure that we can then use to kind of level up our reputation as opposed to just having kind of a bland uh an, an actual bland voyage that is just like go do a bunch of go do a bunch of things and then once that's done do it all over again um, so as we're kind of moving through some of the history of Sea of Thieves, we kind of move into this uh, weird area where now that we have kind of established that uh, the, sea of the, the Sea of the Damned uh, can now make memories of pirates real, 
uh, Flameheart, who is stuck in the Sea of the Damned, is now looking for a way to get his soul out of the Sea of the Damned and back into the Sea of Thieves so that he can actually control the Sea of Thieves where he believes he is the true pirate king. I like that he has somehow managed to convince the Spanish forts that we have, the sea forts, uh, to act as bastions for the Reapers uh, to, to be able to have like holding places and stuff like that, especially when they were working on trying to capture souls to infuse uh, the, the relics with power so that they could try and uh, bring Flameheart back from the Sea of the Damned. Obviously, uh, we thwarted that, so we were able to rescue the, uh, the, the people from the Golden Sands outpost and then stop the relics from being empowered, uh, which then stopped Flameheart from being able to come back into the Sea of Thieves uh, after being banished to the Sea of the Damned as a result of him losing his power after our uh, kind of working on killing his fleets and such. So... Kind of moving from there, I'm trying to think. The, the weird place that I find myself is, is where did Belle come in? Uh, and, and what connection does she have with Ramses? There's obviously some history there that we don't know about. And I'm very curious if they have rewritten the backstory to Belle, if they've given her a new life and a new a new kind of arc uh, that is going to be tied into the Sea of Thieves much differently than her original intent, but using kind of the base for it. You know, you kind of have a, a base character sheet when you're creating a, a D&D character, but you go through enough trouble to kind of build up the back story of that character that no longer is it just the the base one that you got out of the pages of the D&D book uh, it is now your own after making choices and things like that and I wonder if that's what's happened to Belle here uh, very much it feels like she has a lot of uh, purpose and that she's very powerful uh, but we don't know where her power comes from we don't know if it's tied directly to the ferryman even though she wears kind of that hippocampus necklace uh, so that it does kind of suggest suggests that her and the ferryman are in league with each other. Uh, and, and I'm very curious where the relationship lies uh, between the ferryman, uh, Belle, Legend of the Deep, and uh, Ramses uh, for, for the pirate uh, lord. Um, I, I wonder if Belle is actually going to be the warrior, uh, the female warrior that, that we've heard about in the tales, uh, thanks to the Sunken Kingdom and uh, the, the shrines uh, with the different uh, actual books that we found in there. Uh, that'd be great to kind of find a little more tie between her in the ancients because i think that's kind of what uh the veil voyage has alluded to but i'm already kind of skipping ahead so with Adventure 2, we rescued the, the vendors from uh, Golden Sands Outpost and we stopped Flameheart from being able to be brought back into the Sea of Thieves uh, via the the, um, the the noun noun, uh, the enchantment. Uh, oh, I can't even remember what we call it. I just call it the noun noun now, um, but, but with the dark relics themselves. And as we kind of move towards Adventure 3, uh, we start to get the Shrouded Deep event. And that's where Belle has uh, recruited Merrick, who... Uh, she, she was actually able to uh, summon the the wreck of the killer whale into a brand new ship. They went out and they sailed. And I really wish I had gotten a chance to actually see this. Uh, but they went out and they sailed and they tried to summon the shrouded ghost. It didn't, it didn't go well at all for them. And as a result, they ended up beached on a bunch of rocks out in the middle of the Sea of Thieves. We happened to come across them to find a table that had a bunch of skeleton. Uh, I'm going to try this word. Um, runes, nope, 
that was still wrong. Runes? Runes. I think it's runes. Oh, I hate this. Uh, a bunch of skeleton runes on it. And we find out that we can actually summon the Shrouded Ghost, uh, which is interesting that we have to to go all the way to the trouble of the shrouded ghost but i do like they're kind of bringing that into the lore to kind of uh show that and they tied the sea of thieves shots uh around sharks and megalodons to kind of uh give p- players a reason to actually do that um with actually getting the shrouded ghost summoned uh one of the things that i loved about this voyage that i didn't anticipate i didn't know up until the point that i was actually doing it until it was um kind of spoiled for me was that Halfway through the fight, uh, a bunch of Reaper ghost ships managed to pierce through the veil and actually come into the Sea of Thieves and start attacking us uh, with a flagship. There's actually a captain flagship. Now, we don't know if necessarily this is something that was uh, actually manned by the Servant of Flame. I don't think so. It seems like it was just a bunch of captain ships that Flameheart had sent in to try and intercept the Veil of Ancients while we were attacking the uh, Shrouded Ghost. Uh, perhaps the Shrouded Ghost was in the middle of being attacked uh, when it was in the Sea of the Damned and when it r- escaped through the Veil and made it to the Sea of Thieves through the Calling, uh, they followed suit knowing that it was there or perhaps they were watching us the whole time. It's tough to say. So hot on the heels of Flameheart's ghost ships uh, is actually Sir Arthur 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 uh, Arthur Pendragon, who is coming in to help us try and take down the shrouded ghost, so that we can actually uh, manage to get the veil to the pirate lord for safekeeping. Um, we don't know what the veil is going to be used for. That's the really interesting thing that I like about this is that uh, as we have uh, killed the shrouded ghost for now. Um, we get the veil and as we're, uh, holding onto the mask, uh, Pendragon, uh, offers or takes it to, uh, Ramses, um, who's awaiting its arrival and Merrick, I, I would imagine goes back to his normal business, uh, helping out with the hunter's call and his wife, Sarek and Belle will probably go off and do her own thing until, uh, she's needed again. And we kind of have this little bit of a respite. And that's where we get into uh, the the pirate legend uh, Veil Voyage. So before I dive into that, I kind of want to give my overall thoughts about the uh, first three voy or first three adventures and how I feel about them. Um, with Adventure One, that was very much a kicking off joint of what these are going to be. It was the first stab at giving us adventure that was, uh, or giving us narrative through the adventure, uh, where we were going to have to go out and do stuff that felt very reminiscent of the Reaper's voyages that we had uh, back in 2019, where uh, Rare had designed voyages that were kind of designed around creating confrontation or at least player engagement with the world uh, through PvP which then created pvp i don't know if that was necessarily the the original intent in the podcast they said that they uh weren't too keen on how some of those interactions went um but i mean that is sea of thieves you can never tell who you're going to come across or what their intentions are going to be Uh, so you always want to be kind of on the cautious side of it um so with the first adventure i liked that they kind of gave some story to it 
I don't know that I necessarily like the way the story's going, but that's fine. They have a story. They're telling it. Not everyone's going to enjoy it because I, I've always felt like the uh, Servant of Flame has always felt a little kind of weak as a character and not really someone that I built up in my mind as uh, Flameheart Jr., even though it kind of matches uh, his persona. He's always been kind of weak, but in this case, he's always propping himself up as someone who's been uh, very, very proud of his father's heritage. And I, I don't know. I'm still kind of iffy on that as far as the Servant of Flame being Flameheart Jr. and my feelings about how I like that. I'm not sure that I really like it, but um, I'll continue to watch this story progress to see if I'm won over. Uh, not that they have to, but uh, just for my own mindset, I guess, in this case. And as we get into uh, Adventure 2, I think Adventure 2 is really where the, the whole game just kind of changed for me um we got sea forts and we had sea forts for a while where they were on their own and if you went over to them and you killed all of the enemies in there the, the ghost the spanish ghost officers or uh yeah phantoms and you looted the treasure it was a quick 30 minute in and out adventure it didn't require a voyage and you could do it on a lunch break and have a really fun time you know you get that quick little fix uh, which is something that i think arena served when arena uh, wait times were a lot shorter um and back when arena was a different mode because i never liked the new mode uh, not that you guys haven't heard me talk about this in the past. And I think Adventure 2 did a great job when it introduced more narrative uh, using the sea forts, where we had a really cool cinematic that kind of dove into some of the happenings on with uh, the, the actual outpost vendors. Uh, we found out that they'd been captured. I think the timing was a little off on this, which was kind of a bummer, because I think if we had uh, we had been able to do the, the actual adventure when sea forts came out um it would have kind of left a better taste in my mouth than when we did get the adventure and we had to go and actually uh kind of of rescue the different uh people from there but the people were based on rng um so I really liked that it included the new content. It did a great job of focusing in on saying like, these are the sea forts. You should go experience them. Here's some great adventures and a nice little memento for you to be able to go and actually enjoy that content. I really did like it. Uh, the RNG was a bummer, but I hope that they take that lesson into the future adventures to try and make it a little bit easier for folks to be able to find uh, or, or meet the requirements of the actual adventure, considering these are only going to be two week engagements. Then we kind of move into Adventure 3, The Shrouded Deep, which is a very much an homage to The Hungering Deep, which I remember very fondly. And I think one of the things that we realized with uh, The Hungering Deep versus The Shrouded Deep is that when The Hungering Deep came out, there was uh there there was forts and the kraken and then voyages and that was it. Uh, there wasn't really a whole lot to do. So when you weren't out doing voyages you were probably hunting down people who were doing voyages or waiting for a fort to pop up so that you could go do that because that was the best way to earn uh, reputation to be able to qu quickly hit uh, pirate legend and that was really great but the hungering deep was a moment where we could all kind of say like hey this is new we want to go experience it there's not really tools in place like uh, the alliance flag to be able to do this easily to partner up with people we just kind of have to go based on 
off of our mutual desire to understand what the heck this is, especially when all we had seen were teases of a big shark uh, under the water with like a sloop above it and seeing the size comparison between the two, knowing that sharks were just normal size at the time, it was very exciting. And having those fond memories and then moving forward, they really tried to up the ante as far as uh, what the new Shrouded Deep was actually going to be. And I think they achieved that. I think they had an amazingly epic uh, adventure. I think that the biggest hang up is that there is so much to do in Sea of Thieves nowadays that it's really hard to draw people's attention from all the other stuff that they could be doing to come focus in on one specific adventure, especially if that specific adventure is a time-limited thing that rewards a couple cosmetics and is not a full update's worth of content, very much akin to uh, A Pirate's Life. Um, when A Pirate's Life came out, that was the big content. That was huge. We got five new tall tales. It was Pirates of the Caribbean. Everyone wanted to do those. Now that we're looking at Shrouded Deep, you have to realize that if you're going to require adventures that have multiple crew involvement, you're really going to have to be very generous about the amount of time it takes for people to uh, do this or be very concise with the amount of time. And some of the best ways to do that are checkpoints. Uh, one of the easiest ways to do this would be to take a look at the fact that you have uh, four different megalodons that you have to kill. Each one of those megalodons could be a checkpoint and very much like the table that you use to put down a map bundle or a tall tail checkpoint, uh, the table that they used on the killer whale was a perfect opportunity for us to say, hey, I have got a checkpoint for the shrouded deep. Uh, I would love to be able to put down the a little shark effigy that I have that has the soul of a megalodon in there down so that if you've already done two and I've already done two, but we did them in two different weeks, we aren't punished by having to go out and redo those different megalodon souls uh, to be able to complete this because time is always of the essence and Sea of Thieves has always taken more time uh, than most people are, are used to with other games. Usually it just kind of depends. Uh, sea of Thieves is, is very good at making time disappear. So I think checkpoints would have done a great job. And yes, there is always the opportunity that someone would have a checkpoint for the very last battle and they would come over, they would drop that checkpoint, uh, they would leave, they would start the actual uh, event and then they would join back into the event when it's complete and it may not actually trigger the completion for that person. So they would indefinitely have a, uh, a check mark for that rage checkpoint for that adventure and they could just cycle people in and continuously do that but that is kind of their prerogative that's kind of their choice and i think that choice should have been made available to them given how difficult it can be especially towards the end of two weeks to be able to find uh five different people to uh be able to do this uh different adventure to make sure that people are getting that completion because not everyone has a community not everyone knows where the community is and not a lot of people are social enough to be able to feel comfortable reaching out to try and get that community. Sometimes they just like sailing around solo or with a, a friend or two to be able to go around and do different things. They're usually not very good at PVP and they may run away. 
or they may be very good at PvP and just not be very good at being social in general. Um, so I think with Adventure 2, or excuse me, not Adventure 2, Adventure 3, with the Shrouded Deep, I think they killed it. I think they did a fantastic job creating an epic fight that involved the Shrouded Ghost, Flameheart coming in to try and stop you to steal the veil, Pendragon coming in at the very end to help kind of intercept uh, Flameheart's forces so that you could kill the Shrouded Ghost. Um, the, the main issues that I had were that uh, it takes five people to do. Uh, you have to kill four Megalodons, which takes time if they aren't checkpointed, and that the physics of the entire event were a little weird. Um, so I don't think I ever finished the event where we didn't lose a ship due to the, the Shrouded Ghost uh, bumping it in some way. At some point, I think every ship that I had sailed with uh, or, or every crew that I had been with had been with another crew that at least one of our ships had gotten messed up. So um, that was kind of the, the main downsides to it. But genuinely, it was an amazing fight. It felt epic. It felt great to summon it. And it felt great to have the ghost ships pop up and add a new threat to uh, seasoned pirates to be able to deal with that. That was not something that I was used to. Um, and I was I was very happy to find out that it wasn't just a, oh, it's another it's another hungering deep. It's just a, another Meg fight. It's like mm, it's another Meg fight. But this Meg is is a lot more aggressive, a lot more dangerous. And you also have the added threat of the ghost ships. Beautiful chef's kiss. Please continue to do that with curse sales, figure out a way to bring in curse sales with ghost ships and they're fighting each other, uh, anything you want. I'm, I'm totally fine bringing in curse sales. The one thing that I would point out is, again, be very considerate about people's time, how long the event is going on and how difficult it's going to be to do this if they have, uh, if, if you're going to want to do this with multiple crews or not. And, and I would really kind of advise moving away from multiple crews. I know it was part of the thing with the hungering deep, but again, there's so much going on with Sea of Thieves. It's hard to find another crew organically that are willing to do this uh, when everyone is so used to kind of uh, sight unseen sinking a ship. Sink first, loot later. And with that, I think I've kind of rounded out my feelings on this. Um, I love the adventures. I think they've done a great job building narrative. I think that the cinematics team that they've hired on to do uh, the outside content for Sea of Thieves has done a stellar job. Uh, the voice acting is great. The music's amazing. I really love my time when we're actually involved with it. Um, and, I, and I can see where things can be changed in the future that will help try to encourage uh, more interaction from the community. I would love to get to the point where uh, we now have events that everyone participates in all the time, just like with the Veil Voyages. I love doing those. I think that I, I would rather do those more than other voyages just because I love kind of being tested uh, with my knowledge. Like having the the pirate, and actually maybe I'll, I'll hold this for when I actually get into the, the, the legend of the Veil Voyage. Ahoy there, pirates. This is the ad for this episode, and I did want to let you know if you wanted to avoid these and just get a regular filler, you can head over to the Patreon. There's a special feed just for patrons that get the ad-free version. If you want to keep listening, though, I can't say I blame you because this week I want to let you know about Loot Crate and getting 15% off of most crates and crate subscriptions when you use the link and code ROBOTSRADIO in the show notes. Also, you can head over to audiobooks.com, get your first three audiobooks for free, and that can include any 
two VIP books or use the affiliate link for Green Man Gaming. If you're a PC gamer, or you'd like to save money on games. It's one of the benefit of being a PC gamer. Head over to Green Man Gaming. You can get codes for Steam, Epic, any of the different stores that they have deals going on. They have deals going on all the time. And if you plan on buying there, please consider using our affiliate link. All of that goes straight to me through the network. Thank you all so much for everything that you do to support this podcast. It means the world to me and I continue to try and improve the quality and the content for you. With that, Pirates, let's get back to the show. All right, so next on the docket, let's dive into The Legend of the Veil Voyage. This is a pirate legend only voyage, although if you are a pirate legend and you find someone who wants it who isn't pirate legend, you can actually give them the voyage uh, by alliancing with their crew, placing the voyage down on their mat table, and having them vote on the voyage they can then complete it on their own. But I would advise against this uh, purely because if you were going to give them a pirate legend voyage, give them a a standard voyage. This was something I talked about in last week's episode with Caleb. I do feel like this voyage is a tough voyage if you don't know the islands, uh, or maybe you're not quite as good with uh, PvP. This might be a good opportunity to get better at that. The Veil voyages are fantastic as far as design goes uh, when it comes to feeling like they are engaged. Um, as I've mentioned in the past, I'm concerned about how the narrative is going to feel in the future, but at this point, I've said my piece on it, so I won't speak of it again. So the Veil vale Voyage is comprised of three different parts. You've got Haunted Islands, you've got Discovery Islands, and you've got Shipwreck Graveyards before culminating in the final uh, Pièce de, de Résistance, uh, which is the actual fight against the uh, Flame Heart Fort, um, which is kind of, I, I, I guess... It's it's more like a haunted fort. If anything, it does come from the Sea of the Damned. But as we kind of talk in uh, about the other parts, we'll kind of work our way towards um, that the actual haunted things. But let's kind of talk about the the uh, haunted islands. Um, this is something that I kind of ties into the feeling that. Bell is actually the warrior uh, who helped the ancients uh, fight against the sirens. Um, when she comes to you, you get the, you actually, when you put the voyage down, uh, the pirate lord comes onto your ship, which was really cool. It was nice to see him uh, kind of out and about. You know, we'd really only ever seen him in the Shores of Gold, uh, the, the actual Maiden's Voyage, uh, but down in the tavern is kind of where he spends most of his time. So having him show up on the actual ship that you're on is kind of a great way to say like hey you know what i'm i'm not just here hanging out you know i'm actually here to kind of spend some time and and kind of talk to you directly that's how important this is i'm willing to leave the pirate legend tavern to come talk to you about this veil thing so when you actually uh, get the voyage you'll actually have this book and i would caution people to not put down a tall tale because it will cancel out this voyage and you'll be out 250 gold uh and then you'll have to go sail back to get another one uh, but when you get this one of the options that you'll have for the for the first kind of acquisition of a veil stone because with this uh, veil mask there's three stones uh, kind of similar to the uh, the shroud breaker 
So one of the three potential ones that you can run into as you're kind of working your way towards the final haunted fort is uh, either going to be the haunted islands, which involves Bell, uh, the discovery islands, islands, which involves uh, Suds, and then the shipwreck graveyards, which I actually like. And each one kind of represents their own version of the Order of Souls, the Gold Hoarders, and the Merchant Alliance. The Merchant Alliance feels very much like the shipwreck, shipwreck graveyards where you have the lost voyage shipments. Uh, Suds... Uh, is more along the lines of the uh, gold hoarders with his um, kind of versions of uh, X marks the spot maps and Bell. Obviously, you're going to be fighting off uh, ghost reapers or phantoms um, that are kind of like doing an Order of Souls mission. So while this is a the Legend of the Veil vale voyage and it is kind of tied to narrative, uh, it feels very much in line with a new revised version of an Athena Fortune voyage where you had uh, Gold Hoarder, uh, X marks the spot maps with riddles. Um, you had Order of Souls where you had to go out and fight different captains. And then, of course, with the, uh, the, the Merchant Alliance where you had to go out and pick up cargo crates um, to be able to well, now cargo crates. Originally, it was uh, animals before animals were just, you know, meat at this point. Um, so it was kind of nice to, to have these kind of represent the original three trade companies in their own version. Uh, so starting off with the Haunted Islands, this is one where you're going to be meeting up with Belle. So when you get to a haunted island, you'll have to find her. She'll then give you uh, the flame of the damned um, from the with the ferryman's lantern, and you'll have to run around holding that up to be able to find some of the different ancient statues. Each of these statues is going to be emanating like a weird kind of pulse. And as you kind of go around, you'll find uh, all the different ones. And as you light them, they will then uh, light and they won't pulse anymore. And then another pulse will kind of pop up somewhere else. And you have to kind of run around the island lighting the different ones until you you finally find the one uh, that is the the correct one or you've done enough of them to where uh, the true statue actually pops up and that will kind of put a little beacon up in the sky which I like uh, so you'll run over to the the beacon in the sky you'll like the final statue and then one of the ancients will actually appear and uh, kind of explain to you like that they have the veil stone and they've been keeping it uh, uh, for for a while one of the things that I like about this is that at this point Flameheart has figured out how to send uh, Reaper Phantoms to you uh, to try and intercept the Veilstone. So you, as well as a bunch of ancient uh, souls who are now in this kind of mixed world between the Sea of the Damned and the Sea of Thieves will have to duke it out and try and uh, emerge victorious. Hopefully you do. I can't imagine that you would because you can't actually kill the ancients. So eventually this fight will end with the Reapers uh, disappearing and you will be able to claim the Veilstone from the ancient uh, who is kind of explaining like, you know, this is a powerful relic. You want to be careful with it and blah, blah, blah. Didn't really listen, grabbed it, ran, uh, tried to sell it, tried to eat it. None of that worked. So the next bit uh, is actually going to be with Suds. And Suds' uh, voyages are probably my favorite, actually. I think his are the ones that I enjoy doing the most because it's it's the biggest test uh, as a pirate legend right now. Um, you'll have three different ways to find the Veilstone. You're either going to get a zoomed-in uh, map, which is just kind of a really nice, tight image of an island and you have to kind of figure out what island it is based off of the small amount of information that you're given uh the false ancients paintings uh which is i, I think i referred to it as, as um two truths and a lie uh where you have to find the ancient painting on the island that is listed 
and find out which one is incorrect and then dig in that spot to be able to dig up the ancient chests. And then the last one is uh, just kind of sketched out images of parts of an island and you have to kind of work out where some of the landmarks are in some of those photos to figure out where uh, that the island is. So you really have to kind of know um, where like things like a, a, a Kraken skull is uh, or where certain palm trees are and just kind of base it off of that before you find out where you have to dig for that. I love those. I think they're great. It's a great test of, of knowledge for, for people who've been on the islands for a long time know them like the back of their hand and are willing to uh, kind of go out there and and venture out to see like where they can find this veil stone. Um, and the last one is actually the shipwreck graveyard, which I think is actually uh, second best. I think Suds is the best. I think the Discovery Islands are my favorite. Uh, the shipwreck graveyard is, is second. And then I think Bell's Haunted Islands are the third for me. Uh, and the sh shipwreck graveyard is pretty straightforward. Uh, you've got a bunch of different ships that are different covered or colored with each unique name that is kind of a, 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 a play on the actual color um, like the queen's envy is is a green ship uh, the the grim fortune which is the the ship that you actually have to find the key to the captain's cabin for uh, is a white ship uh, and, and just I love the the design here because I thought it was really smart of them to kind of have different names tied to different colors and have each one be a, a represented ship in there um, so if you go around to the different shipwrecks and thank you to having them put put uh, water in, or not water um what are they called? Air bubbles? Yeah, trapped air bubbles in those shipwrecks. So you can kind of spend some time in there and actually, uh, you know, explore, take a look at the the actual things going on in the ships themselves and, and just have some freedom to explore. Uh, that was something I really appreciated. I, I really loved being able to kind of venture around and poke at all the different things, whether it be a bunch of quills or a pillow or a hat on a, uh, an actual, um, oh, I can't think of what they're called, a little statue. Uh, what are those dress dolls called? I can't, mannequins, mannequins. Um, so it, it was nice to be able to see those, uh, you know, the music box that you have to lift up to find a little secret or the uh, the painting that you have to move the side to try and find out where this key is. It's just, a, it's such an interesting thing to do. It it oddly reminds me of, I guess, the, the opening scene of The Little Mermaid, the Disney film, where... Um, Oh, I'm blanking on Ariel is kind of venturing around in a shipwreck and she finds the fork and she finds, uh, no, was it just the fork? I think she might've just found the fork and she's just kind of like scavenging through these shipwrecks, you know, as they're kind of evading sharks. And that's kind of what the shipwreck graveyard reminds me of is, is there's a bunch of shipwrecks. Uh, you're just trying to find this one key cause you're trying to find out where this veil stone is. Um, and, and once you find it, that's, it's that's kind of done. There's a book in there that gives you a little bit of hint if you're having trouble. So if you find a book that you can interact with, it'll kind of tell you the, the little bit of a uh, breadcrumb trail on uh, which shipwreck you need to get to to go to find the actual captain's uh, cabin key. And then once you find the key, uh, then you go over to the white ship, which is typically the the one that is um, belly up uh, on the surface of the water. And you can then open up the captain's cabin, find the actual veil stone and proceed to the next one. With this voyage, you're going to have two of the three that I mentioned as the part one and part two of this voyage, and they go pretty quick. That's what I love about this. I, I, I really love that this whole voyage really only takes about an hour to an hour and a half, depending on where you have to go or where you start it from. 
to complete and it's very rewarding if you put up an athena emissary flag you're guaranteed to get level five emissary by the end of the voyage but being able to have these three different kind of modular uh, uh experiences that can be crafted and split up into their own little thing um, but then swapped out so you're not doing the exact same thing over and over and over again uh, it really feels like there's a lot of life to these voyages as far as not getting bored with the same old thing because you're always going to find the key in a different area you're always going to get different islands for suds discovery islands uh, which sounds like a it, <laughs> it sounds like an adventure tour the you know head over to the suds adventure discovery islands to find your next treasure pirate uh and then you've got the haunted isles with bell which is just a, a goth rave scene at that point so i i'm glad that they're varying these up because otherwise they would get very boring very much like how the original voyages were for athena's fortune that was one of the troubles with it sure you got different voyages but you knew you were always going to get a couple x marks of spots a couple riddles a couple order of souls and then a couple cargo jumps um to be able to to finish those up before finally getting the final voyage which was going to tell you where there was going to be an athena uh, chest at the end of it and that voyage took like two and a half three hours if you didn't speed run it if you if you did a speed run which for those that weren't familiar you can actually speed run the athena voyages i don't know why you would want to nowadays but you can it's much much better just to go do a, a thieves haven run um, but if you wanted to speed run them what you would do is you would get on a, a ship with at least a, a galleon crew uh, you would have them mark out where the maps are uh, you would sail over to the islands one person would uh, go over to one island and they would work on either order of souls or the uh, the gold hoarder voyages and uh, you would kind of go, you would kind of hop from island, 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 making your next stop. And you would uh, have one person kind of stay with the ship until they got to the fourth island, in which case, if the first person didn't finish up what they were working on, and keep in mind, you're not keeping any of the treasure from any of the other islands. You're just digging up the chest. You're pinging it so it disappears off of the map. You're not even diggling, digging it up and diggling it. You're not even digging it up uh, all the way. You're just, you're just knocking it up high enough so that it removes the x off of the map when that's done that's when you get back to the ship because you're on to the next one you've got eight different voyages it's insane um, but you can speed run those until you finally get to the last voyage uh, at which point you finally get a thing if you're going to do those honestly it's it's safer to do it in the original three c's but the payout's going to be uh, better if you do it out in the roar um, just because the the skeletons are easier to deal with if you're on an island that has the, the i almost said geezers i'm not going to say geezers i'm going to say geysers because i'm an american uh if you if you use the geysers to kill the skeletons it makes it so much simpler and now that they drop uh ammo pouches it's probably even quicker to even do that but again i'm getting way off a of track here so once you kind of move through the first two modules and you get the first two veil stones for this each time you get a veil stone you want to place it into the actual mask and that will progress you into the next section uh, the pirate lord will come out he'll kind of say a little bit of words telling you you've done a great job and that you're so close to finishing off uh, reclaiming the veil stones uh, there's just a little bit further that you have to go ahead and kind of encouraging you to get on with the rest of the voyage uh, the last voyage is, is the haunted uh, or the haunted forts which I really 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 dig these things um, they do a great job of kind of 
having a little bit of the best of everything when it comes to um, what we've had with Flameheart, uh, what we've had with uh, Sea Forts, um, how we've kind of gone through the world and just you know seen seen different things nowadays. You know, it's it's um, kind of like dealing with uh, all the the cool things that come from the game after years and years worth of design. Um, but we we get a couple pages in the book. Uh, that actually come from the the reapers themselves, which I gotta say, this whole voyage is basically flooded with uh, the 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 written um, pages from reapers who, for some reason, have amazing penmanship. You know, clearly none of them are doctors, uh, but they've always been really really bad about throwing their pages away instead of shredding them. Again, if you're going to be out in the seas, make sure you shred all your stuff because uh, that's sensitive information. You can't just throw it onto the water and expect someone not to pick it up and start taking advantage of that kind of stuff, uh, especially with your map bundles. Be very cautious about that. But they managed to actually get one of the veil stones. And uh, Flameheart Jr. talks about how his father has called forth uh, these forts from the Sea of the Damned to protect the stone to keep it safe. Uh, and that the fort is actually um, kind of the key. And then it'll give you the location of that place, which is, <laughs> again, the typical kind of hubris from uh, the, the villains that you find in Saturday cartoons or Saturday morning cartoons. Um, but you want to head over there. There's a giant, giant, uh, beautiful uh, tornado that is above one of these fortresses. And as you're sailing over there, you'll have to deal with three emplacements, which I hate the name of, but I know I recognize you can't keep calling everything forts. You really got to come up with some different names. Um, so with these three and four or in, in placements, not encampments, I always want to call them encampments, but they're emplacements. Uh, you have them take them down. And this is where they kind of took uh, what I loved about the uh, fifth tall tale for A Pirate's Life, where you could destroy the giant mermaid statues that didn't do anything in that one and uh, just kind of watch them crumble. Um, the tech has been really beautiful to watch these emplacements in, in and the fortress itself actually take damage. The emplace or the, the fortress itself is amazing. The amount of work that they put into there that people probably won't ever get to actually see is fantastic. Fantastic, and I love that you can actually go up there and kill the actual uh, uh, the actual phantoms on the cannons. Um, so if you had one person that was running around and you were having trouble uh, actually getting some shots in without taking too much damage, you could shoot someone up on there, and they could hop around and kill all the different phantoms uh, to be able to help kind of uh, deter some of the cannon fire from the actual fortress. Oh, I'm running fast here. Uh, but when you actually get to kill the three different encampments, and I say kill in a weird bay, but whenever you destroy the three, and I said encampments again, emplacements, when you kill the three emplacements, you can get the storage crates that are on top. I usually recommend if you're running just a duo crew and you're trying to get through this quickly, I usually recommend emptying one of the storage crates into the other one and then just grabbing the full one and going. Uh, and then maybe like tossing up, I don't know, maybe, maybe someone else is uh, just trying to to you know sail through and, and get them probably quickly but i usually recommend just grabbing the one because the gold from the other one isn't it's not going to be make or break you know you could you could probably leave off with that but if you're trying to get every piece of gold then of course you want to take both because you can sell those uh and then as you kind of work your way towards the final fortress uh, that's when you'll have to take out all the different bits of the actual fortress and boy this was fun it was amazing to watch it was amazing to uh kind of take down each one uh i think the emplacements take five cannonball shots i think each part of the actual fortress is three or four 
I don't quote me on that though, but I think it's like three or four shots uh, to break down a certain piece. And I think there's two, three, four, five, I want to say six different parts of the fort. I could be wrong on that. I, I don't know that I've actually counted, uh, but it feels like six because there's at least four turrets in a couple buildings. But basically you have to take down each different building on the actual fort. Uh, and then once that's done, uh, you you can then kind of pull up and that's where all the treasure is going to be. You've got an Athena chest, you've got a whole bunch of new Athena loot, which is all really cool. Um, I really love just how much uh, actual treasure you get out of this. And it's all Athena stuff. It's amazing. You finally get the last veil stone and you put it into the mask and the pirate lord appears on your ship to let you know that he that we've done a great job uh, restoring the power of the veil of ancients and he's going to hold on to it until a certain time where it becomes necessary to use uh, which thanks to the latest Sea of Thieves podcast we found out is something that they are going to be planning on working uh, for the rest of the year. So we're going to continue having adventures. I think uh, they mentioned in the podcast that Steve Dillon is actually working on designing uh, adventure number six. Uh, adventure number four should be coming in the next few weeks. Uh, we should be still getting a mystery Um which I'm, I'm really not sure when that's coming, but boy, howdy, that'd be nice if we could figure out where that's actually uh, going to land and, and how that's going to be perceived. I think they might be hold, kind of keeping that close to the chest for now. Um, and I really loved that they talked about some of the things that tied into the Legend of the Veil vale voyage, namely the Devil's Roar. So Mike Chapman kind of addressed one of the issues that came in, uh, thanks to Joe, for uh, kind of talking about what was kind of happening with the Devil's Roar. Because as as of right now, there's not been a lot of focus on the Devil's Roar. It's always been there, and there really hasn't been too much advancement in what goes on over in the Roar. We had uh, vaults that were available there. Um, we had uh, some kind of rearranging of some stuff, you know, some kind of changes uh, with where we, we focus some things. There's uh, obviously the changes going on at the outpost is kind of what I'm referencing here. And it makes me think that they are still kind of keeping things in mind. And originally, I was thinking that with uh, some of the teases that we got, um, kind of the the obvious place towards uh, what I think is going to be a captaincy update, um, they are going to be offering uh, some new things to do on the outposts. And, and when I think of this, I, I was thinking it would be really cool if they gave us the opportunity to choose where we spawned in uh, for the actual outposts. And I thought that would be kind of something, you know, like if you'd earned it, then you'd be able to go and spawn at, uh, say, like the, the Morrow's Peak outpost post um this unfortunately this uh this episode of the sea of these podcast uh broke that dream for me um they said that that was not something that they wanted to do and that that was something that was uh very much in kind of uh like spawning wherever you were uh they don't plan on doing that and they don't plan on having fast travel it's kind of the nature of uh being able to to kind of show up and do whatever you want based on where you spawn in with the sea of thieves and the thing that I thought was really interesting about this is that they've talked about how they are going to be um, kind of using some things that we have in the past to travel to different areas. Uh, and, and and I think that they, they have they've kind of teased out that they want to use um, the giant portals that we have in the middle of the ocean uh, that really aren't useful for anything outside of uh, the pirate's life tall tales um, as ways to kind of go from place to place. Now, I'm. I realize people still use these for server hopping and stuff like that, but that's not 
the original intent. Uh, so when they, they go back and they look at what uh, they want to do with those, I th I'm hoping that what will happen is that they will give us the ability to affix a certain uh, type of uh, artifact, whether it be uh, the, the Veil of Ancients or the Shroud Breaker, and then use that to travel through a portal uh, that will take us to a different area. And maybe that's why they're kind of building up these docks uh, over at the different outposts. I can't imagine that it's just giving us a way to to, to name our ship. It's got to be something a little more involved than that because it seems like such an easy thing. But again, we still have the nameplate glitches on the uh, the, the uh, galleons right now for the cosmetics and the LOD issues that we've seen uh, as far as being able to see nameplates on smaller ships. It's it's something we know is, is being worked on. We just don't know if it's coming soon or later, but obviously with these things kind of leaking into the main game, um, it, it feels like it's sooner rather than later in this case. Uh, but to kind of focus in on the Devil's Roar, uh, they talked about how they hadn't forgotten about this and that they didn't want people to think that just because this wasn't something that was being actively developed on, that they feel any kind of regret for making it. Because I, I, I really do think that it's one of the cooler areas that we've had in Sea of Thieves. Um, they wanted to be more uh, of a challenging area, a perilous area, as, as Mike talked about it. And I kind of agree with that. I think it's a great way to kind of make sure that, hey, you know, if you want loot that is uh, uh, more valuable, then that is a good place to go out for that. The, the rub comes in is is how quickly you can get loot in the original three C's that may not be worth as much as like a standard voyage if you were to compare uh, one voyage to another. But the amount of treasure that you can get the amount of uh, supplies that you can get really do kind of set you up for success in the original three C's. And I think that's something that that needs to be uh, kind of taken into consideration if they plan to do any more advancements in the roar. I would love to be able to have ways to uh, additionally create more supplies. Thankfully, we have some of that with the, uh, the, the storage crates that you can now purchase as well as the uh, cannonball and wood planks. That makes a huge difference when uh, venturing out into the roar. You're limited by just the one that you can buy though. And if you bought one recently, I don't know if you can buy one uh, more more frequent or, or in in a I don't know how long the actual reset is for that I think it's at least a day and a half or something but um, you you can only buy one for from what I understand or from what I've tried I've never I've never ran into an instance where I've been able to buy more than one so uh, I if I if I'm getting that wrong then then forgive me on that one but they they did talk about how um, they don't have any plans to really do anything with the Devil's Roar right now. And it kind of feels like a big bummer because I really do like the Roar as as much as I love and hate it. I think it's it's amazing. I think it's a great area and I think there's a lot of potential for cool stuff out there. So when I was working on one of the uh, Legend of the Vo Veil voyages and it took me out into the Roar and I actually had to identify uh, islands out there based off of their landmarks, I was pleasantly surprised. I thought that was a great utilization of, you know, how much time have you spent out in the roar how pirate legend are you do you know these islands uh and that was something that i felt really proud of i was very very happy with the fact that you know i i may not be the best pvp -er, i may not be the best best pve -er, uh, but i definitely know my way around islands and i and i'm very proud of that because i've spent a long time memorizing stuff trying to remember where things are and trying to remember um like the best way to get to places and uh find how to find like x marks of spots or uh, memorizing all the different little lore tidbits in the game and stuff. It's, it's, it's something that I've tried really hard to do. 
and try and maintain. <laughs> it's, a, it's really hard to maintain that even now. Uh, so it's a bummer that they're not looking to do anything with it. It's a bummer that they're not going to be planning on letting us pick what outpost we want to spawn in with any kind of uh, new update that kind of focuses on captaincy. Um, but they are looking for opportunities to make that more of an attractive area with greater challenges. And of course, with those challenges come greater rewards. I would just uh, like to, to kind of state again, you know, if you're going to do greater challenges, the rewards have to be more than what you can earn quicker for lesser loot or for lesser value out in the reg uh, the original three C's because it is so quick to earn loot out there uh, than it is over in the roar, especially given that a lot of the time that you are in the roar, you're subject to waiting for volcanoes. And that really does kind of cut down on uh, what pirates are calling like their GPM, their gold per minute. So I, I love that they're not done with the Devil's Roar, that they're not going to just shore it up and move the shroud in and reclaim some of those resources and do away with it altogether, because I do really love that area. Uh, and it was a, an amazing, an absolutely amazing uh, a place to go visit when it first came out in that first year. So I think the last little bit of news that I wanted to kind of make sure that you were aware of as we go into next week is, of course, the Sea of Thieves Community Day that is happening on May 14th. That is going on between May 14th and May 15th. May 15th, it'll be ending on 10 a.m. UTC, 2 a.m. Pacific Standard Time and 5 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, you can log in to make sure that you get uh, your free Community Day Day flag. It is a yellow version of the Community Day flag. I imagine they'll have a T-shirt as well. Uh, they plan on having uh, sales on the Emporium as well as sales going on uh, in the actual rare uh, shop as well, too. So if you've been looking to pick up any kind of merchandise and you missed out on the first Community Day, uh, here's another opportunity for you to do that. Uh, they're also planning on doing a double gold and double glory uh, day for this as well, too. So this isn't going to be the same kind of uh, gains that we got with the first Community Day. That one broke the server. So <laughs> we'll, we'll try to avoid breaking breaking the servers uh, and just go with a standard double golden double glory or double golden double rep uh, for the entire event. The uh, boosting that we can do with the hashtag Sea of Thieves Community Day, um, that is actually going to go towards Renown. So if, and, and bear in mind, we're getting close to the end of the season here. So if you still have to get to level 100 in your Renown, this Sea of Thieves Community Day on the 14th is going to be a great way to work on stuff. And again, you don't have to do anything particular, but I would love to recommend you go through some of the trials, take a look at some of the ones that are available, and start working on those once the community has worked up the emissary grade multiplier to the, the max, which I believe is going to be five times uh, the gains for Renown. Um, so with this, it'll be nice to kind of have them do something that will get people done with their season pass uh, faster as opposed to trying to force people into the largest loot halls they can possibly get because I think that is where we run into the issues with uh, what's going on with the actual uh, server stability. We don't want any more strawberry beards. It was a great way to kind of have some fun in the community to kind of be like, hey, you know what? We're all experiencing this issue. Uh, we're all running into the problems with having to deal with not being able to get into the actual uh, uh, the game to 
be able to earn all this gold. I think if we just do a regular uh, double, glory, double gold, uh, double reputation, then at least that way um, we're not we're not stressing any more than we than we have in the past, and it should be something that is a lot more manageable. Uh, one of the other thing that that is, or one of the other things that's going on with this is actually Twitch drops, uh, and that's something that's actually going on of the day as well too. So you should be able to get the, uh, I believe it's the Gilded Phoenix banjo uh, that is that is coming out. Um, you just have to watch one of the Sea of Thieves partners, I believe, uh, for 20 minutes. Typically, the the normal requirements for those kind of drops. Uh, you're also going to be able to get the free flapping emote, which uh, kind of is like the chicken wings. You doing the chicken emote uh, so make sure you log in to get that as well as the free flag uh, you're also going to be able to pick up the uh, community day t-shirt this is the one that commemorates this uh, i picked up the two of the first one and i like them in blue i don't like yellow it's not my color uh, so i'll probably hold off on that also, keep an eye out for uh, community day events. The hat of unfeasibly glorious fame, something that I got last community day, uh, is something that's up for anyone that is doing stuff uh, is exceptional on the social channel. So if you know someone that's a really great pirate or just a good person in general, they've done a lot to try and or, uh, do stuff for the community, um, make sure to shout them out over on Twitter, over on Facebook, on Instagram. Uh, make sure you use the hashtag BeMorePirate and hashtag SeeIfHe'sCommunity day to get their attention so that they can get that hat of unfeasibly glorious fame. I think that's it for this episode of Keelhauled Podcast. I think I've covered just about everything. Uh, and, and just, again, for, for reasons uh, that make me feel better, I feel like I was going a little too harsh lately on the uh, the voyages and the servers and stuff. Um, I've, I've really had a good time on the seas, and I think that they've done a great job with the narrative. Um, I can't wait to see how things are going in the future because there's a lot of lessons learned that are getting applied to future content. Uh, I think, of course, the biggest thing that we all want is just to make sure that we are uh, able to play the game in a way that is sustainable, that is, is or not sustainable but stable and uh sustainable uh and just to make sure that we are having a good time and that we aren't interrupted by things that are outside of our control like the service and stuff so uh i'm i'm excited to see where things are going there's still a couple stories that i want to have kind of play out differently but this definitely feels like the year of flameheart and i'm looking forward to seeing how this kind of rounds out because uh, if they're able to close up the flameheart story then that opens it up to years worth of content that is not constantly looming over our head of like oh well, what about flameheart what about flameheart now we can kind of focus on like who's the captain uh who's going to be coming after the captain uh all this other uh all, all these other different um groups that that could be coming into existence that we don't even know about yet uh that i'm excited to see so i'm curious what your thoughts are on these uh, i hope you guys have enjoyed this episode uh if you do feel free to let us know or let us know let me know in the discord server you can always head over to the show notes and you'll see links to the discord server you can join up and meet other crew members there and you can also join into the sherpa program where they're trying to help pirates learn how to do stuff um, and make sure that they're getting into do these adventures to make sure that people have crews that they're getting to pirate legend and stuff we've recently had some pirate legends uh, as a result of the community and it's been great also you can head over to uh, the show notes to see where you can get in contact with me or for the podcast too 
The email for the show is uh, CaptainLogan at gmail.com. If you want to get a hold of me on Twitter, it's at C-A-P-T underscore L-O-G-O-N or CaptainLogan. Uh, you can also reach out to me. Where else can you reach out to me? That's pretty much it. I mean, everything's in the show notes. So I've also got the Xbox wrap-up podcast, which I'm still kind of working out how to get that in a reasonable amount of time. But I'm covering all of the game news uh, and giving a little bit of uh, opinion on there. But I want to make sure that if, if folks are not able to keep up with all of the things that are going on in the game, industry and you're a fan of the gaming industry beyond just sea of thieves uh the xbox wrap-up podcast is a show that i put out on fridays uh, that cover all the things that we heard about going on in that week so that way you're kind of kept up to date with that i think this latest episode i forgot to balance the outro music so there's like a good chunk of the ending that i completely uh messed up on but uh that that was one of those things where you know editing at two in the morning probably not the best thing for me to do should probably put that off in the afternoon and, and um, try and get back to that uh, at a reasonable time when I actually have some common sense in my brain to make sure that I'm checking all of my files and stuff so uh, but thank you to everyone who's listening to that and supporting there um, that's uh, over um, I, I think it's over on April or no anchor.fm just search uh, the Xbox wrap-up should be available in most of your podcatchers as well too uh, and I think that's it so pirates thank you I love you and I look forward to sailing with you on the Sea of Thieves. series and are interested in learning more about the world and the history and the monsters and the characters of the Witcher. Well, this is robots from shows like the Fallout Lorecast and the Elder Scrolls Lorecast and the Mass Effect Lorecast and me and my buddy Toasty are now doing the Witcher Lorecast. It's available on whatever podcatcher you're listening to this on right now. And we also recorded live on Monday nights on twitch.tv slash robots radio at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. So you're welcome to join us there. Again, it's the Witcher Lorecast available everywhere. Go check it out right now. Hey, Guardians. We are the Destiny Show Podcast, a weekly podcast about all things Destiny 2. We invite amazing guests from the Destiny community to share their stories and discuss the latest topics from the world of Destiny. Check us out on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or live on Twitch every Thursday night at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. We will see you starside.